Amen. Denise, thank you for being obedient to the Holy Spirit. We don't ever doubt what God can do. We don't always know what he will do, but we do not doubt what he can do, and that testimony uh, is for all of us today. Open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3. You wanted that to be the sermon, didn't you? You really wanted that. Uh, Let me preach a minute. Revelation chapter 3. I want to start a new message series that the Lord laid on my heart about a year ago. It's called Blind Spots. Blind Spots. How many of you are drivers? You know what a blind spot is? (laughs) Please. You know what a blind spot is? This side, drivers, you know what a blind spot is? Well, what is it? Yeah, in a vehicle, in your typical car or truck, you have a mirror here and a mirror here and a mirror here, and you have two eyes here, but what? There are still areas around that vehicle that you can't see. You can't see, and they call those blind spots. Those are called blind spots because you're literally blind in those areas. I believe it's the areas about right here and right here. You can't see it in your mirror, and you can't see it with the eyes on the front of your face. These are blind spots. And a car or a truck or a pedestrian or Kroger's, whatever it is in that blind spot, you can't see it. And it's dangerous because you can't see what you can't see. You don't know what you can't see, and therefore, it's a very, very delicate situation to be in uh, unless you really begin to understand that, that you have these blind spots and begin to try to make an allowance so that you can see what you can't see. It's that way in driving, but it's also very, very true in our lives as Christians, in our spiritual lives. I want to take a few messages and talk about blind spots. Blind spots for us as individuals, but also very importantly, blind spots for the church, our church and the church everywhere, for the people of God. We also tend to have blind spots, which takes us to Revelation chapter 3. This is where we'll start. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. This is in the opening part of the book of Revelation where Jesus himself, it's red letters here, Jesus himself is talking to some individual churches. Now, in speaking to these individual churches, he's going to end up bringing word to to all of the churches because we see ourselves here. But this is uh, the church in Laodicea, the message that Jesus brings to that church And this will begin our discussion of blind spots. Uh, Pay attention to what Jesus says and what these people don't see. Uh, Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. Verse 15. I know all the things you do. That you are neither hot nor cold. I I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit, I I will vomit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So I advise you to buy gold from me. Gold that has been purified by fire, then you will be rich. And and also buy white garments from me, so you will not be shamed by your nakedness. And, And ointment for your eyes, so you will be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. Let's stop right there. 
If you know me at all, if you know me well, you know that uh, other than Woodburn, Kentucky, the one place I really want to be is the beach. The beach. Any beach. If there is a strip of sand by your pond, I'm there. Uh, I, I love the beach. I love it so much. I rarely get to go. We used to go about once a year, and, and I love that vacation, that once a year when we go to the beach. I go to the beach at 9 in the morning. I stay until 5 in the afternoon like it's my job. I love it. I love the sunshine probably most of all. I love the, it's not quiet at the beach, but I love the sound of the breeze blowing constantly. I love the sound, the roar of the ocean waves. I love that. I love that. Just a couple of weeks ago, I was there. I was uh, in the middle of one of my days. I was under an umbrella. Uh, I was slathered in sunscreen because that's my wife's thing. I was slathered in sunscreen. And, and I was in the middle of what was probably my third nap for the day, honestly. Probably my third nap that day. And then I got woke up. I got woke up because while I was sleeping, this group came in. It's getting closer to the 4th of July now, and, and this whole group came in, and they had sort of set up on the beach right behind my head. This was not the group I would prefer to be on the beach with. They were loud, really loud and drunk, and it's not lunchtime yet. Now, I don't laugh at drunk people because being drunk is a sin. You understand that? Being drunk is a sin. And it's a sin for many, many reasons, but largely because of what I saw in these people this day. Now, understand, in their minds, they were having a really good time. In their minds, they were the life of the beach. But it wasn't really that way. These were the most annoying people I have ever encountered in my whole life. Now, on the end was this woman, this, this lovely flower of a drunken woman who had on a cowboy hat, probably from Texas, cowboy hat, <laughs> bikini top, and this thing wrapped around her. And she was in this chair with this red plastic cup, and, and, and she was drinking, and she was drunk, and, and she was so loud. And then they turned on music. Like the only thing we were lacking there was music. They turned on music. First, they turned on the song Margaritaville, which I've never liked a lot, but I've learned now to hate it. <laughs> they sang it over and over and over. It would play, they'd replay it again. And this lady in the hat never stopped singing, louder than Jimmy Buffett. She's singing, and here's the worst part, she doesn't know the words. So she's singing it over and over and over. And what really got me was that part, and I don't know the words either. I'm just pretty sure these aren't the words. There's a verse where it says, uh, oh, blue out of flip-flop. And I don't know what comes next, but she was singing, blue out of flip-flop, stepped on a Pop-Tart. <laughs> I don't know what it says, but I don't think it says stepped on a Pop-Tart. But she sang over and over, blue out of flip-flop. Stepped on a Pop-Tart and just kept on drinking. Kept drinking. I'm not kidding you. Finally, we moved on to the Rolling Stones. Beast of Burden. Y'all know that song? I'll never be your beast of burden. Do you think she knew the words of this song either? This lady in the hat, drunk lady drinking and singing, was singing, I'll never leave your pizza burning. Never leave your pizza burning. 
over and over and over. I'm telling you, everybody on the beach just began to look at these people. I mean, they destroyed what was a beautiful morning on the beach. They destroyed it for everybody else. But here's the thing. They didn't know that because they were drunk. They had no idea. They could not see themselves the way we saw them. Everybody else on the beach saw them the same way I did. I'm a pastor, and I love people, and and, and I love Jesus, but if I could have thrown them in the ocean, but they didn't see it that way at all. In their minds, they were fun. In their minds, they were funny. In their minds, they were the life of the beach. But I'm telling you, that is not the way it really was. They could not see themselves. I promise you that lady could not hear herself. And what just broke my heart, and I'm being honest now, what just broke my heart was the fact that I'm pretty sure that that woman has children, and that woman has a job, and that woman has people in her life who respect her and appreciate her. And I just can't imagine that that if she could have possibly seen herself at that moment, if she weren't so drunk that she could have really seen what she looked like and heard how she sounded, I can't imagine that she would not have been humiliated, mortified. But she couldn't see it, and that's the point. She was completely incapable of seeing herself that morning. It's just like the church that Jesus is talking to in Revelation chapter 3. Go back to the scripture with me. Verse 17, the church says about themselves, we're rich, we have everything we want. We don't need a thing. They have this amazing uh, way that they see themselves. They see themselves as having it all together. They see themselves as being rich. Now understand, we know quite a lot about the city, Laodicea, in this day. And this is where it gets fun to read the scripture and put some things together. Laodicea in the ancient world in John's day was famous for three things. Very, very famous all over the ancient world for three things. The first one was their banking industry. They were wealthy. Very wealthy city with an incredible stash of gold. Okay, so Laodicea was a very wealthy place, very wealthy city. Number two, they were very, very well known for their garment industry. In Laodicea, they had these sheep that produced black wool, glossy, beautiful black wool. So Laodicea was famous for black woolen garments. Number three, they were very famous for a medical school that among other things produced an eye ointment Famous around the world for its healing properties. Okay? So notice what Jesus says when he's talking to this church. You say, I'm rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And yet you don't realize that you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So I advise you, this is Jesus, I advise you to buy what? Buy gold from me. Gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. And buy what? White garments. Buy white garments from me so you will not be shamed by your nakedness. And then from me get ointment for your eyes so you will be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love. The the point I want you to understand here is that this is a church 
who can't see what they can't see. And their enormous blind spot had to do with their own state before God. In other words, the way they saw themselves really had nothing to do with the way Jesus saw them. And they were completely oblivious to the truth. But what I want you to understand is that as a church, as Christians, we can have blind spots. There are places that we just don't perceive ourselves. We don't understand our situation. We literally don't see what God sees and what the world might see. And those kinds of blind spots in the spiritual life are devastating. Devastating. Let me give you an example, and we'll move forward from this. In a wonderful way, understand, Fred Luter, Dr. Fred Luter was just named president of the Southern Baptist Convention. Praise God. This is an amazing, amazing thing. Fred Luter is an African-American Baptist pastor, just named president of the Southern Baptist Convention last month. I'm thrilled, honestly thrilled. Do you understand what that means? Do you understand what that represents? Because do you understand who Southern Baptists are? Do you know where we came from? Do you know why the word Southern Baptist, that, that title itself, do you understand why in other places that is an offensive kind of label, Southern Baptist? Do you know why? You ever stop to think why we're Southern Baptist and, and, and why we're not together with the Northern Baptist? You ever stop to think about that? Do you know the story? Can you begin to think and connect dots? Why would Southern Baptists have separated from Northern Baptists? Civil war. And what do you think was the issue? Slavery. Yeah, slavery. Y'all know that? That, that? that Southern Baptists separated over the issue of slavery? Talking about our ancestors, our, our, our parents and grandparents, and I'm not saying any of your parents or grandparents were, were slave owners. I, I'm not saying that, but, but in a large sense they were. Our ancestors in the South, our Southern Baptist foreparents, they, they divided from other Baptists over the issue of slavery. And the point was that the Southern Baptists wanted to keep theirs, slaves. You need to understand that in those days, the Southern Baptist church like ours would be all white, and they would gather, but they would have their slaves with them. They would bring their slaves to church in the South, and that's why a lot of those old Southern churches had balconies, because the slaves would sit up in the balcony. And then usually every Sunday morning at a particular time in the service, understand this, I'm not making this up, there would be a little sermon, kind of like the children's sermon that we do every Sunday morning here, kind of like that, only it would be a slave sermon. The Southern Baptist pastor would stop in every service, he'd do a little slave sermon and turn back to Ephesians chapter 6 because there was only ever one passage for the slave sermon. You understand? There's only one passage to preach, and they would preach it every week. Every week. Stop in the service and talk to the slaves in the balcony. And this would be the passage, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5. Slaves, obey. 
Slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Try to please them all the time, not just when they're watching you. As slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. Work with enthusiasm as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will reward each one of us for the good we do, whether we're slaves or free. Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them. Remember, you both have the same master in heaven, and he has no favorites. They came to church every week just like we do, and they read the Bible just like we do. And they gave money to missions just like we do. And they prayed just like we do. And they kept slaves. The title of this message is Three-Fifths of a Person. You know where that comes from? The U.S. Constitution. It comes from the U.S. Constitution. You know this, don't you? In the U.S. Constitution, Article 1, the... Uh, is determined to be three-fifths of a person. The inequality is written right into our Constitution. An African-American slave would be worth three-fifths of a person. What were they thinking? I'm trying to give you an illustration of a blind spot here. They just couldn't see it. Do you understand? They just couldn't see it. And we look back at those great-great-grandparents of ours, and we think, well, why couldn't they see this? Why couldn't they see that the keeping of slaves, that the denying of the intrinsic worth of a human being, the denial of that intrinsic worth of a person made in God's image, that's evil. How could they not see that evil? How could they not understand that? How could they not see how, how, how their treatment of other people was a contradiction of the gospel? How could they not see that? I want you to ask that question long and hard, but because now I want you to understand we probably have blind spots too. I am certain that we do. So here's what I want you to begin to ask with me. Let's say in 50 years or maybe 100 years, when our grandchildren or our great-grandchildren look back at us, when they look back at this church, when they look back at the church of our day, I wonder what it is that they'll look in our behavior, in our belief, in our practice. What is it they'll look back at us and ask, what were they thinking? Why couldn't they see that? What was wrong with our ancestors? Are you with me? I don't want to have those kinds of blind spots. I don't want to be guilty of that kind of sin, that kind of evil as we gather here Sunday after Sunday and read the Bible and pray and talk about holiness. I don't want to have that kind of sin in my life. But we can't see what we can't see. That's why we call them blind spots. So how do they work? How could we begin to identify that kind of evil, that kind of sin in our own lives, especially if we're blind to it? How, how does a blind spot work? What is it that gives us its power? What is it that makes our eyes close? I'm going to give you just a few things. First off, blind spots usually occur in the lives of people, God's people, when they focus their eyes on other people. 
In order to have a blind spot, usually we're looking too much at other people. Other people will always mislead us, even if the other people we're looking at are other Christians. We can't always get our guidance from other people. Do you understand? In the South, in the past, everybody seemed to be racist. Not everybody, I'm sure. But so many people were racist. So many people looked down on others with different skin colors that it just seemed normal. It just seemed absolutely normal. And in some of your families, there's been so much racism in the past that it still just seems normal to you to look down on other people. To, to, to devalue the intrinsic worth of a human being, you're used to that. It just seems normal because you're looking at other people. It's difficult because as human beings, something about the way we are wired, we really do sort of unconsciously and automatically get our cues from other people. If I'm not sure what to do or if I'm not consciously thinking about what I'm going to do, I will sort of automatically just do what you do. That's why on television, when they have a, a comedy, a sitcom, there's always a laugh track. Now, you know those laugh tracks are fake, right? Uh, they, they tell a joke, and there's just this uproar of laughter <laughs> on the TV. It's called a laugh track. It's canned laughter. Why do they put that there? Because they know you well enough to know that while you're sitting there in your lazy boy watching TV, if you hear other people laugh, you're dumb enough to think the show's funny. If you hear other people laugh, you just figure it must be funny. Matter of fact, sometimes if other people laugh, you'll go, <laughs> it ain't funny. It ain't funny. But you heard somebody laugh, so <laughs> that's just how we are. That's why they put the laugh track on television. You're sitting in a Wendy's restaurant, and all of a sudden, the fire alarm goes off. Whoop, 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 whoop. What do you do? What do you do? Jump up and run out? No. What do you do? You look up. And if everybody else just sits there and eats their burger, what will you do? Just eat your burger. Fire alarm going off. But, but, but you will look at other people. We all do that. We look at other people. It's called social validation. I look to you, and if what you're doing matches what I'm doing, then I figure I must be okay. It's natural. It's unconscious. But also, it will lead us into trouble. You can't fix your eyes on other people. I got a dog named Augie. It's the dumbest dog that God ever, ever made. Augie has this thing. We live in the woods, and if there's a dead squirrel in the woods, which there always is, Augie will do what? Go roll in it. Augie will go roll in a dead squirrel. Now that in itself just blows my mind. I don't know why she would do that. She obviously thinks that dead squirrel smells wonderful. She loves that smell of dead squirrel. She obviously does. I'm not kidding. She loves that smell. And we can see her out there in the field just rolling. She is so happy. If there's a cow pile or a dead squirrel, my dog's just in heaven. She will roll, 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 roll. But that's not the end of it. What does she do next? She will run to me. She'll run to me. And what will she do? Rub on me. She rubs on me. It's a dog's nature. She's doing that on purpose. She has a reason for that. What's her reason? Why does she want me to have secondhand stink? She's a dog. What's she thinking? 
if, if you smell like me and I smell like you, then we must be in the same pack. You see, she thinks that I'm another dog, and so she wants us to smell the same because in her mind, we're in the same pack. It's just this human tendency that this herd mentality, we want to be like others and we tend to get all of our cues from other people. But do you understand that when we do that, we can very easily be led away from Christ because I promise you, the herd of people is not moving closer to Christ. They never do. The the greatest majority of people are never pursuing Christ with all of their hearts. The greatest number of people, even in most churches, the greatest number of people are not pursuing holiness and and the truth of the gospel with whole hearts. In your typical youth group, the majority is not on fire for Christ. You understand, if you get all of your cues from other people, you will inevitably be led further away from Christ. You can't fix your eyes on people. That's why when Jesus is talking to the church at Laodicea, what's the answer for their blindness? They don't see. They don't see themselves as as blind and lame and naked and poor. They don't see themselves that way at all. That's exactly why Jesus says, you need to come to me. You need to come to me and buy gold, and then you can be wealthy. You need to come to me and let me clothe you in righteousness. Then, then you won't be naked. You need to come to me and let me, what? Open your eyes so you can see. You've got to come to me. As the church of Jesus Christ, we have to always be coming back to Christ. It's a perpetual revival. It's always coming back to him, always refocusing our eyes. Our teenagers just back from camp. Probably by now you sort of wonder, why is it that that every year I seem to stray away from God and I go back to camp and it takes camp to get me pumped up again? Why is that? I'll tell you. Because if you're not always somehow seeking Christ and coming back to him, you're always slipping away. We're always coming back to him, always needing him to open our eyes, always needing him to reclothe us in his righteousness. I never, ever get past the need to come back to Christ and focus on him. But we tend to focus on other people, and that's how we begin to lose sight. We keep our eyes on other people. Number two, we don't do what Paul describes in 2 Timothy chapter 2 as, as rightly dividing the word of truth. We have scripture as our guide. If there's any danger of having blind spots, it's typically because we don't know how to read the Bible. We don't know how to interpret the Bible. We begin to drift past Scripture, and I'm telling you, the truth is always back in Scripture. We have to come back to the Bible and read it and apply it. Now, honestly, the problem sometimes when people come to Scripture is that the Bible does not have a clear word on everything we face. The Bible does not have a direct, clear, indisputable word on everything. Now, it has a lot of indisputable words on most everything, but there are some things you're going to face where the Bible isn't necessarily going to come out and forbid it or allow it. That's why we have to be wise. That's why we have to let the Holy Spirit be our teacher. We have to keep coming back to Scripture and learn how to rightly divide the word of truth, as Paul says. We have to learn how to read the Bible and and apply Scripture in our lives. 
So go back with me. If, if the, one of the major blind spots of, of, of Southern Baptists in the past was the issue of slavery, how did we get past that? I mean, honestly, our ancestors, part of their delusion, part of the blind spot was the fact that they could find a passage like Ephesians 6, and they could look the slaves in the face and say, it says right here, you got to obey. I mean, they had this scripture, and they hammered this scripture. That They bludgeoned people with this scripture. You have to obey. The Bible says right here, slaves obey. I mean, they had that verse. But understand, rightly dividing the word of truth has a whole lot to do with rightly dividing the entire word of God and not just taking out a verse and then hammering that verse in a way that pleases you. You understand, maybe the ancestors couldn't see it, but, but thank God we learned to see it. There's more to Scripture here. And even in the verses that talk about slavery, it's like, it's like the Holy Spirit, every time slavery is mentioned, will just set a, a time bomb right beside it. Notice what Paul says here. Remember, verse 8, and back to Ephesians 6, remember that the Lord will reward each one of us for the good we do, whether we are slaves or free. Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them. Remember, you both have the same master in heaven, and he has no favorites. Understand? It kind of sets a time bomb right beside the whole thing. Don't you understand that? If, if we all have the same master in heaven, and if he has no favorites, and if he's going to reward us by the same standard, if he doesn't see us as different, you see, there's a, there's a time bomb sit there. There's a biblical principle to apply. I'm seeing you may not, not always find a verse that says what you need that verse to say, but you've got to dig into Scripture because there are principles, gospel principles that we apply. You apply them across the board with utter consistency, and we must never have any part of our life that contradicts the truth of the gospel. We can't let anything contradict the truth of the gospel. You start reading a, a, fuller, a fuller view of God's word, and especially in the old days with slavery, you get to the book of Philemon. I know it's a little book. I know it's a book that most of you skip, but do you know what the book of Philemon is about? Paul writes a very short letter to a slave owner named Philemon. And what's the message? Your runaway slave, Onesimus, has been with me. He's become a Christian now. I'm sending him back to you. I want you to treat him like a brother. You see? We have blind spots when we just read one verse. We have blind spots when we don't rightly divide the word of truth. We have blind spots when we continue to have parts of our lives that do not continue to live in harmony with the truth of the gospel. We have to take the entire counsel of God's word and apply it to every aspect of our lives. No place is off limits. We have to rightly divide the word of truth. I think when it comes to our own blind spots, one of the easiest ways to spot one is to just find a place where in our lives, in our church, God's priorities are not our priorities. Whenever God has a priority, that's got to be our priority. Do you understand that? And whenever God's priorities are no longer our priorities, then we're in trouble. 
we probably have a blind spot. When it comes back to slavery, turn back with me to Luke chapter 4. Jesus' first sermon. Jesus' first sermon, he chose a passage from the Old Testament so that he could clearly communicate what his priorities were in his mission from God. Luke chapter 4, verse 18. Jesus unrolled the scroll of Isaiah and he read these words. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released and that the blind will see. And on and on he goes. Jesus outlines his priorities here. Understand? And when our priorities don't match Jesus' priorities, then we are out of step with Christ. His priorities have to be our priorities. And right there in his list of priorities is, I have come to proclaim liberty for all of the captives. All of the slaves go free with me, Jesus says. It's his priority. Something always wrong with the church that has priorities that don't match Jesus' priorities. Something wrong. So the next few weeks, I want us to look for blind spots. Let's look for places where our priorities don't match his priorities. Let's look for places where our lives don't match up with the whole counsel of God's words. Let's ask him to open our eyes. And while we're at it, let me just tell you something if you don't know. It's estimated that there are more slaves in the world today than at any other time in human history. Do you know that? More slaves in the world today than any other time in human history. Millions and millions and millions. Slaves in the world today. More than any other time in human history. Some 80% of them are young people sold into sex slavery. 80% young people, sex slaves, other 20% forced labor, more than any other time in human history. Do you know this? Do you know that a human being being trafficked today, uh, a human being bought and sold, you just want to guess what the average price is for a, for a human, human being these days, if you're buying one or selling one into slavery? What do you think one brings? Average, $90. $90. In 1850, in the state of North Carolina, in the slave market, if you wanted to buy a human being as a slave, it cost about $900. That, that was in those days' dollars. $900. Today, $90. Do you know what this means for the world we live in? Never before, never before have there been so many slaves, and never before has human life been so cheap. Never before has human life been so cheap. And apparently, never before have the people of God been so blind. What are we thinking? Why can't we see this? 
At the present moment, in the state of Kentucky, there are 59 open cases of human trafficking. The state of Kentucky, right now. We don't even see it, do we? We don't even see it. Oh God, what else do we not see? What else can we not see? It's devastating. Turn back. Psalm 139. This will be our prayer. Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. I have blind spots. You have blind spots, but God sees us as we are. He sees everything with perfect vision. This is to be our prayer. Psalm 139, verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me, know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Pray with me. Oh God, we can't see what we can't see. Lord, some of us are, are hypocrites. There's no other word for it. Lord, we're hypocrites. We come to church every Sunday. We, we read our Bibles. We, we pray. We, we sing. We, we tell other people about Jesus. And, and we don't see the, the, the sin in our own lives. We don't see ourselves as you see us, as future generations will see us, Lord. We, we don't see. God, we just ask you to search us and test us and point out anything in us that offends you. Lord, give us eyes to see anything in our lives that contradicts the truth of the gospel. Lord, make it so that all of our priorities are all of your priorities. Make it, Lord, so that every person we see, we see as a person that is created in your image, a person that Jesus died for, a person of infinite worth, a person that you love. God, we don't see people. We don't see our sin. We just can't see ourselves. So, Lord Jesus, open our eyes. Show us how you see us. Help us, Lord, to live truly, truly before you, before the world, before the truth of your word. We pray these things in your holy name. Amen.